So tomorrow is the, the day we're using to commemorate the Vesak, Vesaka Puja. Actually, Vesaka Puja technically was yesterday. We're celebrating it tomorrow. But actually, it, nobody really knows when it, what, when it is, because it, <laughs> it shifts around every, every year, because it's a lunar date, so it, it's no the solar date was always shifting because there's 13 months in a lunar year and only 12 months in a solar year. So it's generally sometime in May, but nobody ever knows when exactly it is. And, uh, you know, when you come around to trying to exactly date when the Buddha was born and so forth, 2,500 or something years ago, it gets pretty sketchy. Uh, people are even not certain whether, where, when the Buddha was born. Estimates range from between the you know, uh, late late sixth century to the late to the fifth century, so within a hundred years or so, depending on which particular accounts you have, then nobody quite knows exactly, you know, what day it was. But the lead, the story is, it's a full moon in this particular season. Hmm. The moon, being what it is, doesn't obey normal laws. So sometimes the full moon is like a Four o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> it's full. It's, you can't see it. <laughs> so you just see the whole kind of, you know, the attempts we have to to fix time as a reality, and uh, you know which particular place the Buddha sat, trying to really make these things finite and definite pieces of history. Human mind wants to kind of hold it, pin it down, but. Uh, you just can't, you don't really know. But at the same time, you can, when you realize that, it's also liberating. You say, well, today is Wesak. Why not? You can have one every day, if you like. <laughs> but there's a group agreement. It helps when everybody agrees upon, well, we have this particular day, as it, then there's a sense it's everybody gathering together. And that, that gives it a certain reality. Reality is really just the consensus of <laughs> perceptions. <laughs> Nothing much more than that. As you recognize when in situations where people have strong disagreements of perceptions and they all sound real but they don't match <laughs> what happened or what somebody said or how somebody is. You think, no, I don't see it that way at all. You know, what's real? Mm. What we choose to, what we find ourselves resting in or getting established in becomes our realities. Yeah. And what we really begin to sense in meditation and reflection how so much of it is just shifting and changing and a mirage 
opinions and attractions and aversions and uncertainties about what's going on, who, who he is, how she is, what they said and so forth. It's all kind of uncertain really. You know that tremendous urge we have to find solid ground, yeah, something to stabilize around. Normally, this is sense of that that inclination towards stability, so that we can get some measurements in our lives. Really, normally around around the sense of becoming, what's called the becoming sense, or sometimes the being sense. I am this particular state of affairs, <clears throat> body, I'm this particular body, particular identity, particular status, particular role, particular place. Yeah. But if you notice, that's always moving along, isn't it? And attention gets caught in all that. We notice what we are, what we identify with. Our families is changing. Domestic situation is changing. Yeah. Job has got uncertainty in it. The future. All this is change. Yet, yeah, you see, when you come to meditate, so often your mind just gets locked on that level of events of the current scenario, the current crisis, the current project, the current aim and ambition, the current fantasy, the current expectation, the current dread, the current thing that I'm bothered by, or just the kind of drifting along the dribs and drabs of of media. You know, we're kind of sort of buried in thoughts and news and this, that and the other, and the mind is just kind of rambling on. It's like skidding along on this, this world of appearances. So we're trying to find, a, kind of embed ourselves in something which can't be embedded in. It's like trying to walk on water. It doesn't really happen. And yet we keep going for it. You know, somewhere in there you can kind of firm it up. And this is the instinct of becoming. Becoming in the sensory sphere, something we can own, taste, touch, see. Becoming in the psychological sphere, something we can feel we are state we are, sense of happiness that we are. You know? Even in sublime spheres, some particular state of meditation or wisdom or calm that we are, that we've got. You know? And if we don't have one of those, we feel rocky. We feel if we could get one of those, we'd be all right. But it shifts and changes all the time. There's this uh, short sutta in the Sangyutta Nikaya, the collected discourses, when a devata asks the Buddha, where do you see the place of safety for sentient beings? Where do you see this secure place? And the Buddha replies very succinctly in uh, four lines. <laughs> and he said, not without uh, awakening wisdom, not without sense restraint, not without abandoning everything do I see safety for any beings it's kind of Buddha didn't 
pussyfoot around, you know, boom, there you are, you want to know where it is. <laughs> this is where it isn't. <laughs> you know, unless you do these things, you're not going to find the safe, steady place. You're straining the senses, you know, pull out. doesn't mean not having any senses, being senseless, but restraining the, the pull. There's nothing wrong with seeing, touching, hearing, thinking, tasting, etc. Smelling, there's nothing wrong with those. It's the pull into them that you see, you, the mind seeks to bury itself, build up, find a place where things are going to be all right. Not without complete abandoning things. A sense of relinquishment and how we cultivate that mm. is both uh, this can only be accomplished with in a kind of measured way through finding something better that we can find ourselves more stabilized in so a lot of the time in Dhamma practice you're juggling with the qualities of becoming that is this kind of becoming is really unsteady this kind of becoming is a little bit steadier. You know, becoming centered and calm in meditation is a lot steadier than trying to become, you know, successful, liked, um, having everything done by the end of the day. That's really going to drive you nuts. But becoming steady and stable in meditation, that's a lot more useful. Mm. So you're juggling with those just to see which is the better one, the best kind of becoming. And so keep waking up to that possibility. You know, it requires quite a strong inclination, strong intentionality to it, strong sense of what we apply our minds to. So when you come to meditate, you know, maybe the f- first thing you want to do is to keep your, get your intention established to just stop, to rest, to find a place where you feel stable while we use the sitting position, for example, or standing or walking, you find either like in sitting in a particular position you can, you can be stabilized in, feel steady in. You find the way in which your breathing can lengthen and steady so it becomes calming. You know? And this, this inclination we have towards uh, finding a place then becomes a little more satisfied because we're finding a place in our own sitting in your own body, we think, you know, it feel, well, feels a lot better, you know, than all, and closing the eyes and restraining the senses, so you get a sense of really coming home in, in that. You know, and making an effort to do so. So you see, when you use a sitting position, use a sitting position, really, you know, to, to find how can you make your body as, as steady as possible without cramping it without tightening up where is the place of stability and to recognize that the body does establish has this sense of balance a natural facility we have you have a sense of balance bodies know when they're leaning over sometimes when you meditate it doesn't seem to know that (laughs) because we go out into our heads or we go out so your body starts falling around but actually if you come into your body 
you, you find the body knows balance. And why standing meditation is a useful meditation because is meditation that really just tunes you into the sense of balancing, standing on two feet, gently unlocking your knees and finding as if you're standing on a deck of a ship or on a tightrope or on a narrow plank, just feeling the sense of balance that comes up through the feet, through the legs, resting your shoulders, the places where you tend to be gripped and tight, and just coming to that sense of balance, feeling it. Balance isn't something you really do, it's something that you tune into. How we, we, the body provides this. And balance is a very beautiful sense of stability and quite a good metaphor for how we train our minds. Is It's a stability that's not rigid. It's, it's alive. It's, it's cultivated through intelligence, through knowing sensitivity to pressures and leaning and when the body is not when we're slipping out of awareness, we're unaware, you lose balance, you fall over. You know, just coming into that sense of how the body itself knows balance without thinking, without figuring, and we can come into that. When you're sitting, you do very much the same. The balance between the, the pelvis and the head, so your spine acts as the transmitter that's, that, can, that keeps these two big bony masses aligned so your chest can relax, your arms can relax. You're just getting that sense of a, of a nice way of sitting where you feel balanced. It's not really so important what you do with your legs, but what you do with this, this spinal axis. You can sit on a chair, stand up, doesn't really matter. As long as, but you, to get the sense of there is a knowing of balance in the body has, and you find the mind is attracted to that, it's stable. And, and you begin to sense with that how a lot of it is, is not really a big, big effort. It's like a lot of it is about letting go, about restraining the senses, not looking outwards, not, you know, not, not blocking it, but just not interested, coming back within your own body, and then finding this balance through unlocking your knees, your hips, your shoulders, and just standing, resting in that. That's a really useful meditation. Sometimes I teach and do qigong, which is a particular system of exercise. It's uh, very interesting because you know the, the more profound the exercise is, the less and less you do. You know, until, until the most powerful exercise, you don't do anything at all. <laughs> all you do is sort of stand there. <laughs> but uh, And you stand in a way which uh, you do something, you kind of hold your arms in a, in, a, in a kind of circular form as if you're holding a ball, for example. And the, the thing with that is that, that what it does is it, it transfers the energy from the power muscles you know, which we normally kind of power up, hold ourselves together, you keep relaxing all that. And you put your arms in such a way where they are asked to be there without using any muscle power. And what happens is the energy shifts from the muscles into the structure tissues that just hold the body together. So you end up leaning on your own sense of a body. There's no power in it. It's just there. 
And it's a lovely form because you get a tremendous amount of energy starts to build up through that, but also very grounded exercise. And there's something you learn about that. You learn how to find a stability which isn't about holding on, a stability which isn't about um, powering up and pushing, but about finding, tuning into balance and just resting, 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 resting. As your body tries to tighten up and tense up, you just relax and rest. As you feel you should be doing something, you just keep relaxing and resting. And you wonder how long you can do this for, you keep <laughs> resting. So you see how the mind continually wants to do and act and get going and make something work and is this any point in doing this and all these kind of nagging forces and you just keep resting and resting and resting in that. So there's a lot of skill in that actually, learning to rest, have that intention, taking a rest, finding stability, taking a rest. Because this is exactly what the uh, uh, the sangsaric, what we call sangsara, the endless wandering, means it's completely restless. It's just rolling on and on and on and on. It goes on through this life and tumbling into the next life and just goes on and on and on. And there's always a reason for it. Well, you've got to get this done. Well, you better have one of those. Well, you better sort that out. This is a problem, find an answer to that. This is an interesting thing, get to the end of that. And it never finishes. We never get to the finishing line. When I became a monk, and one of the the, uh, uh, things you're supposed to do when you go forth is to ask your parents' permission. So I asked, I wrote, I was in Thailand, so I wrote to my parents, and... uh, they replied, they replied differently. And my father said, you know, well, you do what you feel is right and what makes you feel happy. You should try and follow that. That's the best thing you can do. But he did say, you know, he started work when he was 14. He got a very basic education, left school at 14, started work. He was, then he was something like, you know, 66, 67. And he says, you know, I've worked since I was 14, all my life, I never found a place of rest yet. If you can do it, do it. If you can find a place of where you've got, had enough, because I'm stuck on this. I really like to get off, but I, I'm just hooked. You know, I'm just on the wheel of it all. If you can find a way out, you go ahead and do it. Yeah. And my, my mother was a very, you know, dear, the way that mothers are, was just kind of worried about, well, what, what will happen in the future for you? You know, will you have a pension as a monk? And, well, you know, well, you know, you can't really... It's very sweet, that sense of wanting to look after you, but, you know, can you live for the next 50 years worrying about your pension? Is that good enough? <laughs> yeah. But that's what becoming is about, isn't it? It's about worrying about the future. And it's about trying to find a place where you, act, where you belong and have what you, not, what you want, what you need. And you never quite get it. You know? And yet, you have to participate in it.
as becoming. We can't say, oh well, forget it all, just sit here till you rot. <laughs> we go get something to eat, do things, you know, there's something like that. We place the be, place the stay, even a roof over the head. Yeah. This is the world of time, which moves forward in time. The world of place, which embeds you in a particular situation. And we're kind of born into that. And how do you handle that so that you're not being run by it, being driven by it? How do you handle becoming? And the Buddha said, well, you know, if you actually practice meditation, you'll certainly get a big, um, enormous development of being able to handle that. If you restrain the senses, if you limit what you need, you develop renunciation, you get a big boost on, on, on handling these currents of samsara. The best kind of becoming. But of course, in uh, you know, as it is a form of becoming, meditation, getting better at it, then it is, inf- is naturally it's still infected, or it can be infected by this these currents. But it gives you a chance to really see how, in meditation, there's both the the things that pull you out of it, things you've got to do, you know, so your mind is continually not really meditating, we're sitting there obsessing with things we have to do, things we're worried about. Mm-hmm. Or we start to get into the meditation and feeling like, well, how do you develop, how, do you, how good do you have to be at this, Where you're gonna, how you can make it develop, how you can get better at it, how long you're going to sit for, you know, what stage you're at, this sense of becoming, this movement in time. But you can begin to practice that, uh, you know, the, one of, after the, establishing the sitting position, you start to establish this mental balance, which is just here, present. So it's a movement, not in time, but in terms of space. We stop moving in time, in terms of getting how we're going to go, where we're going to get to, but we, we check that and instead we start to move in terms of space. That is the mind widens, deepens. So the mind customarily moves in time, so it's skimming along to the next thing, 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 it skims along. And you can see, you know, in a life lived like that, you don't really appreciate the quality of what's present. You know, like if you, if you move through here, you probably just move through, you go into the kitchen, you go into the hall, you don't notice the liverwort growing in the mortar. Oh, look at that. The amount of things you don't really notice because you're moving in time. You don't notice things. And when you start to stop that movement in time, so you widen the, the space of the mind, the receptivity of the mind, you see how kind of wonderful everything is whenever you do that. What it's like when instead of rushing through a place, you stop and like, wow. You know, open, widen. So you begin to practice like that. 
And in the day here, my my dwelling is at one end of the this particular area of the monastery, and then most of the activities at the other end of it. So generally, I'm ru- moving across. It's like I don't know what is it, seventy meters or so, hundred meters maybe from one end to the other end. And I start my morning, and I come across, and I go into the house, which is the other end. Then I come back, and I go forward like a shuttlecock. And because you do it every day, you know, you get this feeling of rush out the door and zoom, you know, into the house. So I make a practice out of walking just that distance with a sense of really step at a time, being in the body and opening up to what's around me. Just as a way of, of checking, you know, that, that, that rush forward widening in terms of space and coming out of time doesn't mean you know actually it means a little bit slowing down but the emphasis isn't to slow down it's the emphasis just to you know take the being here move along with it doesn't mean you have to sit still but you can keep that sense of being here being in your own body as you walk that's why we develop walking meditation and you, so the meditation around these postures you know, is exceptionally useful. The problem can be that you, you think meditation is only when you sit in the meditation hall. But it should be whenever you sit down. <laughs> you, know, you sit down and you come into, into the body, into balance. And when, and when you do walking meditation, you can do that on a walking path, but also it means whenever you walk, you walk Mindfully, you know, you stay in your body, you feel the movement of the legs, the rhythm of the hips, you know, and you stay with it. And it it doesn't mean even going that slow, but it means centered. So that's why we develop these positions in meditation so that these are the positions you're adopting all the time in your life. The idea is to just tune in so that whatever you're doing, you've got this sense of restraining, collecting, you know, coming out of time, coming out of the push of it, and widening. And then you can take that into the formal meditation practice, just a sense of here, and feeling those currents of the mind, and just widening, widening, resting, stabilizing, and letting these energies just flow through, and the less you get involved in the speed of thought, the nagging of anxiety, the grudges and the fantasies and the desires, unless you're emotion, more emotionally disengaged from them, they start to just kind of futter out, really. It's called viveka, detachment, and viraga, dispassion. And then resting, niroda, really resting the mind. Niroda means not running not running out. So it's generally translated as cessation. But cessation sounds so kind of eerie, right? You know, cessation. So just think of taking a rest, which is a little more, you know, common or garden phrase, but it means it's a very, it's not some big experience of the world blowing up, you know, and going into some vast, empty space, but just the sense of resting. And the 
inclination towards that, just emotionally lose interest, you know. Don't get so hot, heated up about things. Just, you know, recognize it's changing and shifting, it's always in process. Yeah. It's going beyond our control. And that's okay. Some in a life, particularly, is a life of um, learning to relinquish control, futures, places, expectations, destinies, arrivals, finality, <laughs> efficiency. <laughs> it doesn't mean aversion to them. It doesn't mean that we don't have any, you know, efficiency getting things done. But it's a sense of loosening up around that, like. When you find your own balance, things come together in their time. This season is a very good season when we go Tudong, which means long distance walking. When you just go with a modest equipment, because you've got to carry it on your back. So, okay, it's going to be modest because you want to carry as little as possible. It also means it's pretty rough. And it's supposed to be like that. It means Tudong means shaking off our attachments to place, time, getting getting somewhere, guarantees, certainties, comfort and so on. Mm-hmm. And finding out, hey, you feel good with this. <laughs> and that's the beauty of it. Uh, it it's, the place of relinquishment is a place of feeling strangely and miraculously feeling wow, this is really, this is really, hey, it's okay, you know. And they're all like that. One of the early tutors I did was in Thailand. And then in Thailand, you generally just have a, what's called a krot, which is a, a like a large, like a beach umbrella with a mosquito net hanging off it. So the idea is you go somewhere and you, it's got a hook on the end of it, so you hook it up in a tree or on a string. So this kind of umbrella thing acts as your roof. Yeah. And you, you curl up underneath it. Of course, Thai bodies are generally rather smaller than mine, so I, I can hardly curl up underneath an umbrella because bits of me just hang out the edges of it. Nice, the Thai bodies are smaller, they can fit underneath this thing. So my first my first night out in one of these with these this um, tudong in Thailand was hooked up out in some forest somewhere, and then the mosquito net came comes down over the umbrella, so you keep the insects out and you sort of curl up in a you know sitting in meditation underneath it first of all, and all one has really is that and the bowl, the robes, maybe a razor, toothbrush, cup. That's it. And then the first first night out, sitting in this thing, and then it starts to rain. Not only rain, but wind. So the wind blows this umbrella around, so it's no longer acting as a roof. Because you know, the, 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 it's been swinging around in the wind, and the rain is just coming through the mosquito net. You see, and then you kind of... Bleh. <laughs> and you can't light a candle because it's 
it's too wet, you're sitting in the dark, this kind of rain coming down, thrashing it over your back, and I kind of huddle over, and then, you know, you're trying to keep some bit of you dry. So you've got robes wrapped around, you huddle over in a ball, and then the, the earth becomes muddy. And so there's kind of muddy earth uh, you know, lying in this wet mud, being rained on. Uh, and think there's, there's kind of some little zone of the body between the, the ribs and the belly. You've got this little, one little place that's still warm and dry. <laughs> the rest of you is soaking wet and cold. You're just trying to hold on to this one little patch of you that still feels okay. <laughs> and hang on until, until morning comes. And then eventually even that goes. <laughs> it's gradually because of the cloth gradually wicks all the moisture around you and every bit of you is wet and cold and muddy. And you're lying there in the rain. Then mm. finally, when it's not even one little bit of warmth or dryness to hang on to, you just, just be wet. <laughs> <laughs> just let go into that, you know. And think, oh, you know, a lot of people get wet every day deliberately, take showers, you know. <laughs> Here, I'm not having to do it, they're doing it for me. <laughs> I just kind of, just caught lying in this ball, being wet. Just giving up. You know? Complete relinquishment. And a, a feeling of, yeah, it's okay. And uh, the interesting thing is that 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 quality of stability, which is not held, but stability of being, of feeling okay, something in you comes through relinquishment of the tension and the pressures and the possessiveness. Hmm? And you feel the sense of the light, ease, and the mind is attracted towards it. So that the mind actually goes into that and you start to not notice the wet or the cold because your mind is attracted to this inner place which is not a physical place but a place of, of relinquishment. Hmm? And that's what the Buddha is pointing to. So that's, that's, that's your refuge. That's the safe place when the rest of it goes down. Yeah? You don't want to go there. You know, because you don't want to go through that process, but uh, that's kind of why often we take on these situations and practices to more or less push us towards it. Why we live as alms mendicants, and uh, that's as insecurity, is to try and kind of keep wrapping ourselves on the knuckles of trying to hold on and make things get what we want. And, you know, living in these monasteries, these are kind of open, ended places with people coming, going. Sometimes stupid people come in and start vandalizing the place, you know, driving in at night and making noise and things like that. Well, <laughs> you know. 
And then sometimes it's very busy, and then sometimes it's very quiet, and then sometimes the people you know you're having difficulties with are present there, and then people you really like go away. It's like that. Eventually, you start just loosening up to that sense of trying to make it precious and protected. Um, not, of course, at the same time, here we are cleaning it, working with it. So it's a paradox, you know, a sense of definitely looking for the best kind of becoming, a nice situation, respect, care, attention, stability, and yet realizing, yeah, you can do this, but don't expect it to finalize. There's always going to be this unresolved quality in it, not because something's going wrong, because that's samsara for you. You find an ease in that. You know, it's how you know, the human mind will tend to want to find stability in terms of place. Project onto it, my place. My set up. There's that uh, a rock star, Michael Jackson, who died recently. He had a place called Neverland. Because he was a millionaire, he could buy this piece of property and all the fantasies of how wonderful the, he could actually you know, try to make them work. He had enough money to build a beautiful place and nice countryside and everything like that. Called it Neverland because that, uh, that was the land that was in uh, Peter Pan fantasy book. And he was a bit Peter Pan himself. He had this Peter Pan fantasy of being always young and attractive because he died at the age of 50, you know, not being young and attractive. (laughs) But in his Neverland, he could still, this fantasy of eternal youth and the the place that you could establish where you could be this young boy. And he had some kind of thing for young boys as well, apparently. You know, so he had this incredible uh, wish, um, and enough money to attempt to gratify that wish. Of course, you know, Neverland. And that's the, that's the, uh, the, the you know, the very word itself. Never. You know, it's never there. We're always in never, never land. Yeah? And you know, he was just, in a way, being able to enact, because he had the, the money to do so, the kind of fantasies that haunt the human mind, the right place where my wishes will be fulfilled, the snug place, the yeah, and you know what what goes into that, the right people. And we will continue all and the, the this is not a moral judgment, this is what we will do unless we find something better to get stabilized in. You know, our, our search for the right place to be is quite a natural instinct, but it's often looking in the wrong direction. And so you start to acknowledge that. What is that wish for stability, comfort, freeing from harm, You know, uh, feeling you can relax and be where you are? Where does that happen? Hmm? Now, it can happen momentarily, hopefully to some degree in one's home, one's situation. But the big but is 
how much stress and pressure goes into creating that. That mean you're always kind of re- having to fix it, mend it, repair it, fret about it. So that source of stability is actually acting like a kind of pressure because it's not inertly stable, innately stable. Where is that wish fulfilled? It's not in never never land. It's in here and now land. Mm-hmm. And where's that? You start feeling it in your body as the sense of balance. You start sensing it in your mind in the sense of clarity, attention, widening, coming out of time and coming into internal space. Mm-hmm. Then you begin to feel this sense of the fact the stability of relinquishment. So not apart from this is there safety for human beings. Not apart from complete relinquishment do you find it. And the Buddha is saying that. He's not saying, hey you, you've got to give up everything. He's saying, no, you know, it's up to you. But this is what I've seen. And a lot of the teaching is that gentle but persistent encouragement saying, and notice it's not, it's going against the stream. But you can do it. You can do a little bit more. You know, you can, keep, you can do a little bit. You start with finding the place where you do feel some stability more clearly so you can give up other things. You establish the sense of morality, good friendships. You know, these places where you, you feel you've got things you really trust. You find the stability of your own physical form, breathing in and out. You find that. You begin to let, be able to let go of all these other things that hold us together. And then within that, we start to see within that the inclinations to have, to hold, to become, become more apparent when you begin the process of relinquishment in meditation. Hmm. And it's like, unlike, you know, like a divesting oneself of weight like a a slow shrugging off of the the pressures to be. So it's a very, it's a a gentle practice, it's not a savage kind of thing. And it, it, you know, it's it's gladdening. One feels when the mind is rested, there's a sense of natural gladness comes up. It's not sort of bleak, sterilized you know state of of uh, of barrenness where the mind is at rest it's not running on it's not running it's at rest then all the energy that normally goes into creating things is gathered so it's rather like the qigong exercise when we're not holding on we're not pushing forward we're not holding back this sense of the that innate balance collects energy, collects all the energy of our activities into being present, and you feel this sense of gladness and refreshment in life, in being here, resting, just letting it, letting it take you. So tomorrow we will attempt to, you know, we'll call it Vesaka Puja tomorrow for the sake of uh, convenience, sake of convention, custom. Every day is Buddha Day, really. 
<laughs> and to but to encourage that sense of devotion, because devotion is a is a lovely way of offering the heart. You know, when we open our hearts and we feel a sense of coming out of the nervousness of are we okay? What should we do? What should we make happen? Are we doing well enough? Are people criticizing us? Have I done enough? This, that, and the other. This kind of inner naggingness to just the devotion of of trusting the Dhamma. You know? And it's another thing to to bear in mind, you know, is that the place of rest is a place of trust. We're not kind of creating things to hold us. We're not making things work. We're not even develop anything. But in the place of resting, your mind starts to open into a quality of of devotion, of faith, of allowing, of feeling you can be held by something other than your personality. You can be held by something other than yourself. You can be held by something other than your opinions or your striving or your virtues or your vices. <laughs> you can be held by the Dhamma. And I feel is incredibly grateful for that because it isn't something we can create. And when we bring that down to a particular day, you know, say, wow, oh, this, this has all been given, isn't it, really? The Buddha Dhamma has been offered, been given. The Buddha's teachings have been offered, been given. You know, there's no price on it. We came into this life struggling and kicking, looking round, and somehow or another, you know, we found something. Something came to us that started to catch hold, started to catch our spirits. Aren't we blessed, really, to have, have heard, to have sensed that? So, and then, you know, trusting that quality of, of awakeness, of, of resolution, of, of resting, of openness of mind, coming out of the space, the rush, the, the grabbing hold of place, the rush into time, and devotion to presence, you know, which means we don't do it anymore. We acknowledge it's here already, and we start to loosen up to allow ourselves to to feel that and be filled by it. So it is a, a beautiful celebration, and a, a celebration that has a sense of humility to it. You know, we have been touched. We have we have heard. We have listened. We have sensed something, and that sense of it and the appreciation of it can draw us on. Can take us through some of our sticky places and our hard places and our resistances and our grasping. So it's a lovely, lovely sense of, of, uh, of gratitude and uh, faith in this ongoing process. So it's an ongoing, in a way it does affect the world of time and place, but yet it's, it's ongoing, it's continually unraveling it. You know, we live our lives seeing through this incredible mist of movement. Mm. 
where we were, where we are, where we will be, what day it is. <laughs> Here we are in England and it's this time. What's the time is in Honolulu? Who's right? <laughs> 